All right, welcome to Bonehead. This is hey, who the fuck uses a teapot? What? <laughs> British people. I want to welcome um, you to Bonehead. <laughs> British people, and this is true. I don't who know was if you, you? Know this. Um, uh, I'm trying to get but, the vaccination. Uh, you guys keep going talking. <laughs> no, but keep I, going. A, a lot of uh, there's a lot of controversy over like if you microwave water to make tea, you're a terrible person, evidently. Yeah, but you could use a pot. You know, I mean, like a literal pot. A teapot? Who the fuck uses a teapot? Well, the problem is, and this is, I've had people explain this to me, and by the way, if if this is, this goes worldwide, I don't know if anybody watches The only reason you use a teapot is, oh, I like to I hear the whistle, so I know, I know the steam's ready. But, well, no, no, it saves water. Because uh, you only lose so much money. Like, you can boil away a pan of water, but you only lose so much out of the thing, so it actually is a conservation Yeah, so you, you proved my point. Teapots are useless now. We can move on with our conversation. That's not true. And let me tell you another reason why teapots aren't useless. Uh, Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. Tell me. Expendable character. What what does she do? You sass mouth Angela Lansbury one more time. I will put this fist down your throat. You guys keep talking. I'm going to look up where Madisonville is. The coat. It's three hours away. Well, so much for that. (laughs) But you can just stay at home. You can just stay at home and watch a Happy Madison movie. That it's more like two you. and a half hours away, but that's okay. You time travel because they're in the central time zone, Joe. Oh, oh it, that's true. That is true. I mean, you also go back to the 1950s in some ways, but I'm God. not going to go into that. Let's get on to the topic Let's of our show. Let's get on the topic. So the topic this week is actually was a pain in my ass, and I, I wanted this topic. And It's, yeah, been it's a pain the, in my ass, too, by the way. It was a, I've it, had it, more fun written, with it than I ever thought I would. It's I been, honestly was I, dreading it. Hold no, on now. Really well. Hold on. It's been written over here on this damn door for a month. Well, years. Years. It was one of the first ones we came years. up with. And the reason why it's that and Dracula, which I don't want to fucking do. We've got. Well, now I want to do it. (laughs) Oh, we did. Oh, yeah, we did do Dracula. We did two parts of Dracula, didn't we? I forgot. Yeah, Yeah, we did. We did. We did. We did did two parts. Don't uh, you remember? You started yelling at me, going, "I never said I didn't want to do Dracula." I want to talk. I want to talk about Lady Bathroom. Caught you, Moscow, Mitch. I never, I've never actually said that out loud. Yeah, <laughs> never really. I've seen it when I'm driving downtown and they've got the signs up, and I was like, ha ah, Moscow bitch, but I never said it out loud. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, never ever ride in a car with Joe. He drives like this, <laughs> yeah. and they just like don't seem safe. And I get this. I want the steering wheel really high up. <laughs> he drives and a school bus, evidently. I and he puts know. he puts on a like beehive. He, he puts on a beehive. <laughs> That's true. It's all true. Well, now let me. That's a visual this. gag for those for those of you listening. Yeah. You missed everything. It. This is a true story. So, I forgot where I was going to go. Was the reason why this is a pain in the ass is because one of them is obvious to anyone who's ever met me, and I thought I can't do that one. But every time I went back to the damn list, that's my number one. Yeah, so I've talked about this a hundred times. Oh, I, I figured this one would be your number one. But several yeah. of them are so good. We've talked about them throughout this show. So the topic, gentlemen, and you all listening to us right now, is the best remakes. Movies that are remakes that are remakes that are better than the original. Yeah. Now, we and I think there, I think remakes we, that we like, but now these are better right. than the original. And I, th- I don't know if James agrees with this, but Joe, I think me and you agree that there's one that actually should be put on a pedestal as it surpasses the original in all aspects. 
the one I have think I it does. Okay. Yeah. The one I'm, I'm gonna a, talk about. There's a couple actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 for most my list, honestly, it that is true. But I think there's one that me and you hold on to higher regards that it's on a pedestal. We'll talk about it. You have a poster time. of it on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> for you people who listen to us and have never seen the basement. Thank you for narrowing it down. Okay, I'm going to jump to it, and then it, that can lead our discussion. I'm talking about the thing. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So start. So go well, ahead. And lead John us in. Carpenter's the thing. There's two that I'm going to talk about, and the other one's directed by Philip. Oh, we, we're not talking about that one from a few years ago. And that thing. Well, so I don't, I don't agree with this burst, conversation at all. I honestly thought you were going to burst out into that thing by uh what 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 musical women we're talking about the swedish one where they did it with a swedish camp that's a technically a prequel that's the best movie ever made (laughs) how they screwed that idea up is beyond me because that was that was the smartest you know what you know what made you uh what what messed that movie up what everything not enough wilford brimmer (laughs) yeah that's true i mean honestly watch the thing american for no good reason other than somebody needed to speak english what watch the thing and think oh my god what would this be like without wilford well, brimley but james, into you, this man so james <laughs> out of curiosity before joe goes into his conversation about it is that one that i don't know how your feelings on it i mean that to me is on a pedestal of this is a remake that far surpasses the original in all aspects like there is nothing there is no finer example of a remake being better than the original than the thing in my opinion i don't know how you feel about that uh, there's one maybe, and it, I'm going to talk about it later, so I don't want to give it away. There's okay. one film that I think may be able to be held up, and what's funny is it wasn't remade just once, but the last version of it, the last remake of it, was held in such regard that I don't think anybody's really tried to mess with it since. So I would argue those are probably, if you were building a a re, a house of remakes, so to speak. Yeah. Your two pillars would be the film I'll talk about later and the thing. Okay. I will agree with that. So, uh, but I'll get to my mic. Okay, Joe, go. So, John Carpenter was the it guy. I'm looking something up there real quick. John Carpenter. Was- no, that was Tommy Lee Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lee Wallace <laughs> is, a, is a good director in his own right. You know, Fright Night 2 is one of those unappreciated sequels. So, <clears throat> back to what I was saying. John Carpenter was the it guy in the early 80s in Hollywood. And he hadn't done, he'd made independent cinema, worked for TV a little bit, did a couple of pictures, The Fog and Escape from New York for AFCO Embassy, which technically are smaller studios. They were considered low-budget independent places. The Thing was going to be his first major motion picture from one of the big studios. Now... John Carpenter's The Thing is better than the original The Thing, directed by Nyby, which actually wasn't really directed by Nyby. It was directed by Howard Hawks for the most part. It's based on the novella Who Goes There. And that's what I was looking up as I couldn't remember John W. Blah, blah, blah's name. <laughs> so that was, re- <laughs> I, I forgot, John W. Campbell, although I've read the novella. Now, the reason why John Carpenter's version is better than the original, they're the, let me go through each one of the reasons for me. Number one, he went back to the source material and where the original 50s version, the thing is played by James Arnaz. It's a fantastic movie with a great 
uh, middle of the movie kind of surprise when they're opening the door you don't see it coming with the thing coming through the door mm-hmm. in the 50s it had to shock the hell out of everybody right. but they changed it around what carpenter did it's a plant who can if you cut off its arm it can basically grow it back right gentlemen yeah right and doesn't he kind of look like a, i'm 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 blank i've seen the movie he's but got I, a bald bald he, cap and tall i was gonna say i thought he kind of looked like a giant carrot not no i th- it may have in the original i don't think he looks like a carrot okay the <clears throat> so it's a it's a classic film onto itself still extremely watchable yeah really watchable i'm going to talk about another movie that was made in the 50s that has a fantastic remake too that the first one's still extremely watchable but it's not really a great service to the original story who goes there carpenters is carpenters even took names out of the stories like niles and mccready those names are in that story if you read the novella Mm -hmm. and basically the thing is from another world they go out they dig this thing up and it can be anybody it can imitate and if you've got if you've never seen john carpenter's the thing but you're a big tarantino fan fan and you've seen the hateful eight that's john carp that is tarantino playing homage to carpenter absolutely chad and i watched this and was like shit everybody's talking about this is a western this is a carpenter film Mm -hmm. i the music he even had ennio morricone do the music for the hateful eight by the way, the only music that Carpenter didn't do for one of his movies was that one, and it's Ennio Morricone. But Ennio Morricone later on said he just took the shit that sounded like his anyway. I wrote a lot more <laughs> of the score, and he didn't use any of it. Which I thought was a great quote. He just took the shit that sounded like his stuff anyway. Um, that's one. He went back to the source material. He didn't do a straight remake. He did an interpretation of the original novella. Two, right. that fucking cast. Yeah, it's uh, all male. Cast. It's all male, which is yeah. odd if you think about it. Even then, it's odd. It's all male. And yeah. when they were shooting in in, B, in British Columbia, it was it was an all, for the most part all male entourage. And it wasn't until that there were actually a lot of women or women working on the picture till they got back to Universal to do the refrigerated scenes where they would make it cold in the room, and everybody ended up getting the flu that summer working at Universal because they'd walk out and it'd be eighty or ninety degrees. And the rooms had to be refrigerated so you could see the, their breath. And that's two. That cast nailed it. Number three, Rob Bottin. Those special effects, 70% of them, not all of them, the ending could have used CGI. It's stop motion where the creature finally comes out. Yeah. That stop motion does not hold up. Neither does one other little shot. But for the most part, 70 to 80% of that shit looks just as good as the day it did when it came out in the summer of 82 and made everybody puke. Right. And that's, and honestly, that's one of the things that I, I really don't like the, 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 what the prequel, whatever you want to call that piece of shit. But the big problem is the pre, one of the biggest problem with the prequel was they relied too heavily on CGI on that one. They went the complete opposite. So in an interview yeah. with Carpenter, he has been asked about it. And he said, well, CGI is a tool like anything else. He said, no, CGI would not have improved Rob Bottin a lot of what is said. And but I agree with him. He actually said himself, I could have used CGI for the end of that movie. It yeah. would have helped me. Yeah, I could have built that big monster at the end of it. But when it comes out of the floor and goes together, CGI would have helped me get there. And I didn't have it. And that movie could have used it then. So I thought it was very gracious of him to admit that because it's true. 
And really the last point I want to talk about is it's written by, oh God, I can't remember his name. Oh my God. Uh, Kirk Douglas did a ton of Burt Lancaster, Bill Lancaster, Kirk, Bill, uh, Burt Lancaster's son. Bill Lancaster was a screenwriter in his own record. What he's really famous for in one of his greatest movies is something called um, The Bad News Bears. So he wrote The Bad News Bears, and this is one of his films that he wrote later. That's a really cracking screenplay. It's Carpenter's best movie, in my opinion. But I'm going to knock it on two things. I'm not really, well, shouldn't say knock it. So Carpenter's one of my three favorite directors any day since for 40 years. However, is he the greatest director of all time? Hell no. Is he the greatest director of the 80s? Probably not. But he's up there, and I'll tell you why. Because I still see his shit in pop culture still. I look around and they live is around me still. You guys agree? Mm -hmm. Big Trouble in Little China is still probably more popular now than it ever has been. Halloween has never stopped. James, James, watch this. You know what's not around you right now? What? The fog. <laughs> the fog is not. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the fog. I'm not. I saw the fog for the first time uh, two weeks ago. It's got I some finally watched your, in it. I, yeah, I finally watched your copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I finally, there's some good scenes of it in Adrian Barbeau. Uh, Adrian but, Barbeau's good, and the whole opening with John Hausman. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, honestly, that movie, woof. It's, and that's a recut. You know, yeah. he, he went back and reshot scenes to, to make it better. Yeah. So anyway, he's not the greatest filmmaker, and the thing is not the greatest movie of all time. It It's flawed. There's a couple of places where it doesn't quite, doesn't quite gel. There's a couple where there's a few jumps that they, I think that they could have made more seamless, but it's probably his best film and it's one of my favorite movies. And every year it becomes more and more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, James, in our pop culture around us of people not trusting people. Relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I, more and more relevant all the time. And Tarantino took what I think is the theme of it and made The Hateful Eight. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But yeah, no, um, I really do love the thing. Uh, and when when I, when you said this is the one you want to do, I'm like that was number one on the list. I, I really do think that's the, the the the. There is no other example of a remake surpassing the original. And you know, one thing I liked about it more than anything, um, like I said, the original, you see the alien. Yeah, you do. And I kind of like the thing because you never really the thing doesn't have a true form. It it's can not, be anything. It can be anything. And even, even at the, the last part, it's a bunch of pieces coming together. It's not the actual alien itself. And other movies have tried to copy that idea, like Leviathan. Le oh, God, to, Leviathan. And, and, and as much as I like Leviathan. I like Leviathan too, but That man. monster is shit. It is. It did not have Rob Bottin in his early 20s, high on every kind of drug there was, working 20-some hours a day. I'll tell you guys a quick story. Rob Bottin got so sick. He worked so long and so many hours that he ended up in, as my boss would say, in hospital. He ended up in the hospital because he got so sick. In fact, he tells the story that Carpenter looked at him and goes, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. You don't look good. You really should go to the hospital. And he was in the hospital for, I think, a week. Yeah. That's how sick he got for that much hours, that many times. It was crazy, and the problem is, is it came out two weeks before E.T. in the summer of 82, and nobody was ready for it. And to this day, 
Carpenter appreciates that fandom finally found it, and it has. Boy, has it found it. It is more popular now than ever. It just keeps, to me, increasing popularity every time well, I go to a convention. But he doesn't mind that critics shit on it at the time. What bothered him and hurt him and killed him. And by the way, he lost a job. He was going. The next movie was going to be Firestarter, which I would have loved to have seen Carpenter do Firestarter with a big budget. Because the Firestarter we got sucked. Couldn't have been any worse than that. The thing that killed him was that the fans attacked him in the summer of 82. And I just don't and understand not it. happy with him. I just fact, don't. One of the few people I know that was, was a, is that George Romero called him up and said, don't listen to them. They're fucking idiots. This is, this is a fantastic movie. I mean, two-year-old me would have been going like. Yeah, I think, I think the sensibilities are just so different. It's just such a different movie. God than- damn Reagan. It's, don't you think? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, such a different movie than the original, which is the reason why it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, James, do you want? Do you mind yeah, if I? Your, what's your greatest? Well, hold on, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go. James can go. Well, I was wondering. I was kind of. James says there's one other that he feels, and I didn't know. I, I have to give it credit because, and, and I'm going old school, so you'll have to forgive me. But I have to. I want to give a little bit of backstory because I think this is a tragic story of the creator of this and why this probably needs some attention. So I've got to start. Um, no, Romeo and Juliet is not better than Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. You son of a bitch. <laughs> no, but no, uh, uh, Sherlock Gnomes is. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Sherlock Gnomes. Um, no, I want to, I've got to talk a little bit about, and y'all may guess where I'm going with this from the very beginning, but I want to start with the author. The mummy. Created, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> Who created these characters? That's fine. The mummy is that. on one of the lists, by the way. Uh, see if, how long if you guys takes. look at some of these lists, it is on some of the lists. Collider has it as number three. Ugh. I've got to start with the author who created these characters because I think the more I think about him and the more I want to find out more about his life because he's a fascinating human being. I'm talking about Dashiell Hammett, also an Americanized to Dashiell Hammett. Um, Dashiell Hammett is probably one of the most important figures in what became popular culture of of the early 20th century into the middle 20th century and the reason i'll you'll understand why i'm saying this in a little bit uh but he unfortunately at one point flirted with it he was an extremely liberal guy he was from maryland and he at one point in the 1930s uh became interested in communism and all that stuff and he started to think about He set up a bail fund at one point, and I'm jumping around his timeline a little bit, but he is one of the most important figures in 20th century literature that most people, if you walk up the street, who's Dash Hammett to most people, they're going to go, but they may know some of his characters. Nick and Nora Charles, The Continental Op, Secret Agent X-9, and most importantly for what I want to talk about, Sam Spade. Sam Spade, yeah. Sam Spade. So the Maltese Falcon is where most people think about Sam Spade. Sam Spade, he wrote several Sam Spade stories. Oddly enough, um, his last novel came out in 1934. And once again, that goes to some politics. He wrote short stories after that. But his career as an author, his major productivity ended in 1951. He did not die until 10 years later at 66. Um, But what could have happened to him in the 1950s that would have ended his career? I wonder. But that being said, Damn, um, Tommy. 
the Malty Falcon, Sam Spade. Well, the Malty Falcon everybody knows and loves is not the original Malty Falcon. It was made twice before we got the version that everybody loves. Right. The original one was 1931 and star. It was directed by Roy Del Ruth, who uh, also directed the Ziegfeld Follies, if you want to do some film history. Um, and it happened on Fifth Avenue. It starred Ricardo Cortez as Sam Spade and B.B. Daniels as Ruth Wonder. And it followed generally the same plot of the one that would come literally not that much later. But the one that I'm fascinated by is that when Warner Brothers went, well, that did okay. It wasn't, I mean, nobody ever says, you know, the 1931 superior to, to the bogey one. Nobody says that. But I didn't realize Warner Brothers went, well, that did okay. Let's cash in on this again five years later. And they did so, and it's actually a part of film history that I want to talk about. So they, they realized, and this is, let me just quote uh, a, a, an article that talked about this. They filmed a 1936 version because, quote, economical Warner Brothers executives decided to film another version of the book and assigned contract writer Brown Holmes to the screenplay. He changed names and the object of desire from a falcon to a ram's horn. It was directed by William Ditterley, uh, D, I'm sorry, Dieterley, uh, who had directed Faust and Love Letters and all that stuff, and starred Bette Davis, Betty Davis, and Warren William. However, it's important to note this because this is one of the movies that caused Betty Davis to say, screw you, Warner Brothers. Uh, she wouldn't show up to film it. She said it was regurgitated nonsense, that it was a trash film that it did not even have the charm of the original one. Uh, so she didn't show up. She said, I'd just done the Petrified Forest, which was art, and then you assigned me this. And so she didn't show up. She got suspended for, after the third day of not showing up. And at this point, she was taking care of her mother and also trying to help her sister. I don't know the full details of Betty Davis's life. I'm not a Betty Davis expert. So she agreed to come back. The studio released it under the title Satan Met a Lady, because if you read Hammett's original thing, at one point, Sam Spade is referred to as a blonde Satan, which is not, by the way, the way he was cast ever. But um, so that movie was released. And it's interesting to me that we got the good version of the Maltese Falcon, because let me just read a quick review. The New York Times called it a cynical farce of elaborated and sustained cheapness. This was Bosley Crather, a classic of dullness. And finally, he said, without taking sides in a controversy, a controversy of such titanic proportions, it is no more than gallantry to observe that if Betty Davis had not effectually espoused her own cause against the Warners by quitting her job, the federal government eventually would have had to step in and do something about her after viewing satan made a lady all thinking people must acknowledge that a betty davis reclamation project to prevent the waste of this gifted lady's talents would not be a too drastic addition to our various programs for the conservation of natural natural resources variety was a little bit kinder saying it's an inferior remake of 1931's uh, maltese falcon now obviously What's the superior version? It's the Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart. There's yep. no debate about that. No, I know. But the fact that we legitimately, and I, I had to bring up Dash Hammett because if we've mentioned the Thin Man before. Yep. 
he is so responsible for that detective and the hard-boiled but also the clever detective the he is probably in his own right the closest america has ever got to a sir arthur conan doyle and nobody's remembering him largely because of the smear campaign of the 1940s and 50s against him so i wanted to bring him up a little bit but uh the maltese falcon is probably i will hold it saying that movie got made twice in very close time at least a thing there was some space there to explore time had passed the maltese falcon not that much time passed between three different versions of it but once you got bogey in that role nobody could do it the same way he did so i hold up the maltese falcon as one of the most effective remakes done by the same studio same everything else but uh you get a great director in there and uh and a a director if i'm not mistaken an early work of his right it's his first movie yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was John Houston's first film. Yeah, it's his first. Uh, and, and, fact, took, and if I'm not mistaken, he took it just as a as a as a foot into the door, right? He didn't I'm, have any. I'm assuming, yeah. Orson Welles said no one played the, no one was a better actor of playing director than John Houston. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say, and and, and he, he did that wearing a fake nose. Um, but if you could he- hear him tell the stories of Houston going, oh, and he does the impersonator, all, all right, all right. <laughs> it's just the way he would do it. Then go off and do something else and then come back when the shot was set up. <laughs> no one played the, the, the character of director better in his, his estimation than John Houston. Because well, the and, director was the most useless person on the set. Uh, and by the way, to, to the credit of John Houston, um, uh, Bogart wasn't who the studio wanted either, and the person they wanted wouldn't show up. Was said, "No, I'm not going to work with the first time director," mm-hmm. and I'm blanking on that actor's name. But he is famous in classic cinema because everything that won an Oscar, he turned down. Yep. Um, but real quick, uh, uh, the other thing about this, and it echoes Betty Davis's argument: Warner Brothers was known for being so cheap during this time that if you watch any of the special Warner Brothers being cheap, no. If you look at any of the documentaries about the making of the Maltese Falcon, you'll find such trivia as Humphrey Bogart actually wore his own clothes. Those were his clothes because Warner Brothers would not spring for a wardrobe. So, Maltese Falcon, though, is a classic film. It's just not the first time that story was made. But the 1941 Maltese Falcon is a great remake. Yep. Chad. All right, so I'm, you know, you did your two favorites. I'm gonna do my favorite for this list, uh, and it, I had, I have three that was, but this when we said we were gonna do this, this is the first one that popped in my head, because it's, in my opinion, it far surpass other than the thing, of course. But this is the other one that far surpasses the original. Um, so in 1969, Henry Hathaway got with John Wayne, Glenn Campbell, Kim Darby, Jeremy Slate, Robert Duvall, and Dennis Hopper, and made True Grit. And then in 2010, the Cohen brothers blew their asses out of the water with because, their version. Because they went of, back and did what? They went, and I was going to say, just like uh, John Carpenter, they went back to the source material and did True Grit. Um, and it shows because, and you know, honestly, when I when I saw this for the first time, a lot of that dialogue, I was like, oh, that's typical Cohen brothers. No, that's straight out of the damn source material. <laughs> right out of the book they took it right out of the book yeah. um and they just put their own artsy spin on it i didn't realize that this was their this was their highest rate uh earning movie of all time 
I didn't know it was the highest one, but I know it was a big hit for them. Yeah, it was. It was. The, it, it made the most. It's the 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 Cohen. It's the Cohen Brothers film that made the most money. Yeah, the thing about True Grit is that I don't. So I didn't see the original one till later on. For some odd reason, that was one of the John Wayne movies. I didn't. I didn't see it till later on either. And I. And I, then I, I watched it, and I liked it quite a bit. And I, they do keep some of the dialogue from the book. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what somebody calls it. It's really funny. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's like Shakespearean Western or something like that. Yeah. But uh, they keep some of the dialogue in the book, but Wayne is the only one who doesn't talk like the rest of them. <laughs> right. I'm sure Clint that, Campbell yeah. even says some of that shit and none yeah. of the rest of them say it. Yeah, but I think that's uh, honestly, I think if I remember right, that had a lot to do with John Wayne being John Wayne. I'm sure it is, but it is one of the better John Wayne performances. And and James and I have said corn dodger to one another quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> He got up and left a few minutes ago during Chad speaking. Yeah, like so I wanted a diet coke too, but I didn't want to get up during. during I listened to that long diatribe they build up to the Maltese, the Maltese Falcon. Falcon. I know, I know. But I just, I didn't even, I didn't even. There was like a five second intro before I went into True Grit. James took what five minutes? He took twenty six minutes to talk about Harvard Dash Bill. Thanks, James. Listen, <laughs> listen. The writer deserves credit. And, and honestly, something people go back and read his works. And, I, and the same for Charles Portis, the the original writer of True Grit. Um, so this is actually it's a short. This is a really sm- short story that the Coen Brothers took mm-hmm. and spin it into a masterpiece. In my opinion, it's one of those that I'm honestly I was writing for today's show, and I really want to go back and watch it. I'm going to go back and watch it uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, probably. What? Oh, it has a flaw. What's the flaw? I and it's not a flaw. All right, I can't use the word flaw, but it and this is funny because we were talking about endings before the show started. There, there's not kind of in um, what you would expect in a lot of cinema of some sort of catharsis at the end. In that, and I doubt that there was one in the book. It's probably the same ending that's straight out of the book. Right. I, I didn't look that up, but yeah, I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. There that. That the, the the John Wayne movie has a little bit of that. I like the fact that she does lose she loses her arm or her hand. I can't remember her arm. She loses her arm. Her loses um, arm. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that 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 it's missing. But if you've ever seen a Coen Brothers film, we knew we weren't going to get that anyway. Right. So yeah, I, I, get- I remove the word flaw. I just that's like you get to this and you kind of want a little bit of a a release i don't know that there's kind of a release of them kind of yeah i get if, that even if there could just be a nod at one another at the end or something you know it's it doesn't kind of have that i get that but honestly the movie was so artistically and well told that that ending didn't bother me i'm just like oh because i feel like there was no other way to end it yeah. honestly um and if you haven't seen it, um, we're not going to ruin the ending. Go check it out. But um, clearly, she doesn't make it out with all of her opinions. Yeah, uh, it does. Uh, so, uh, directed by the Coen Brothers, it stars Jeff Bridges, Haley Steinfeld, which I didn't realize this was her first role. And she was out of 15,000 applicants. She actually got the role out of that many. Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon, Josh Brolin, the list goes on. Um, and was this like- Josh Brolin before Jonah Hex? Tee hee. Tee oh. God, what it's Josh Brolin post old country for old men and post uh, Goonies. Goonies. (laughs) Goonies. 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 Um, 
so I didn't know Jeff Bridges didn't want to take the role for this. So he was all about doing a Western with Coen Brothers because he wanted to do a Western with them. But then he told them we're going to do True Grit. He didn't want to do it at first because he didn't want to mess with, he didn't want to compete with Wayne's legend. Who could blame him, Jeff? Yeah, I couldn't blame That's him That's the either. one where they gave Wayne the Oscar. Right. Which um, is not the movie he earned the Oscar for. No, but I, I, hey, don't make me throw a corn dodger at you. Oh, no. Why do they call them corn dodgers? Because they do- have to dodge all the corn whiskey in my stomach. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, no, but it is a good performance. We were just talking about why yeah. you were going getting a beverage. No, no, I, I was not getting a beverage. I have a beverage. I got, I got, see, see, I'm good. I came prepared. When you were doing a bump of Coke, and now, you were drinking them warm. Yeah, we were talking about. Listen, I don't. The, the I, language I, that they use and everyone even in the original 70 is that came out was that came out in the 70 guys 1969 69 everybody using that language except the duke yeah. yeah yeah well and by the way i it is one of those it's one of the rare movies that the sequel i do hold up i and it's because of Catherine hepburn rooster cogburn and the lady it's a lot of fun but it's all because Catherine hepburn gets the best of john wayne and it's one of the only movies where that happens to it in wordplay yeah. and everything else. Yeah. But, you know, the Coen brothers told Jeff. That. Yeah. And they told Jeff Bridges, just don't worry about that. Don't even watch True Grit. Read the story. Um, and what I like about this, too, is the fact that they even went as far as to put the eye patch on the correct eye. <laughs> because it, it's, on, it's on the wrong eye in the original True Grit. Um, from the, the other guy thing, in the, from from his oh so it, it specifically tells which eye in the book. yeah it specifically tells what eye it is in the book and it's John Wayne put it on the wrong eye for probably John Wayne reasons. Um, in the iconic uh, climax of the original movie, you know, you see Rooster charge into the meadows with guns what? blazing with the the reins in his teeth. Feel your hands. Yeah, the funny thing about this is another reason why I, I love this quote. I'm building up to a quote from the Coen Brothers. Uh, John Wayne was on the back of a truck. Right. when they shot that scene jeff bridges actually did that on horseback yep and they are the, they are roughly the same age when they shot that movie i think i think john i think bridges was one year younger i think wayne was 61 and bridges was 60 um and to quote he, really wasn't wayne I, a little older you know, he was 70 right they were they were really close and they might may, wayne might have been just a, a few years okay. old i don't i didn't I, i'm not arguing with you i'm trying no, to you can argue with me because i don't i don't have that note written down i forgot the ages i think he died in 76 77 but uh ethan cohen uh in an interview with the hollywood reporter said our rooster could take their rooster <laughs> well yeah <laughs> yeah um because jeff ridges is an american he's is an american treasure and he the other was thing I like 62, Chad. Um, so, and Bridges was 60, right? Look me mm-hmm. up on that one. Um, yeah, I think so. And per the Coen brothers, uh, the best part about the, uh, in terms of directing Jeff Bridges, all Jeff Bridges required per every scene was okay, how much had Rooster been smoking and drinking at this scene? <laughs> so he, what, was he the talking only about direction. cigarettes or actually marijuana? I wonder. <laughs> I, who knows? <laughs> you know what, what I, that, that was his specific question on every scene. Is he going to okay? How much smoking and drinking had he done prior to this scene? Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. By the way, I, just, I want to say That's for the professional, record, you know, by the way, yes. Carpenter talks about that reason. Love, loves Kurt Russell because Kurt Russell show up, ask a question, hit his mark, say his line. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, by the way, I, I want to say so. Uh, my my father uh, was a huge John Wayne fan, 
And and I asked him, I'm like, hey, did you see the new version of True Grit when it came out for home video? Because my father didn't believe in movie places, a uh, theater. Um, he didn't think they existed. I pointed them out to him, and he'd go, no, that, that's not real. Uh, anyway, no. Uh, and and I, he said, he said, yeah, yeah, I watched it. It's not as good as John Wayne's. And I said, really, Dad? I mean, I know you're a big John Wayne fan. That kind of shocks me. And he said, well, it doesn't end as happy. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it, you, you, I, I got nothing there. There's no response I have to that. And he goes, and it's not a quotable. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, there's not, not a lot of, you know, bra- bravado or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess not. I oh, the scene know. with Bear Man is iconic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but there's Chad's not got a lot of sitting here going. I man, it's right over there on the shelf. I know, man. I, I, I was I was coming up with the script for today's show, and I'm like, I gotta watch this. I was gonna watch it before today, and I just never had a chance to. I'm dying to watch it again. Well, now I want to watch both of them. Is what I was gonna say is because I'm sitting here going because now I've got quotes from the John Wayne version in my head, such as "bold talk for a one-eyed fat man," <laughs> and I want to. And I remember lines from the other one too. And now I want to watch them both. So thanks, Chad, for ruining an Easter. You're well, Jay, Joe, what's your second pick, bud? Well, so I'm going to switch it up here. And of course, oh, I'm going to talk the- about bad news bears. No, no, I can't. I can't get behind. I can't abide that. But I am going to do something a little different. It, it wasn't even on my list. I didn't think about it until I saw it when I because I often go through these lists before we do it just because I'm just curious and a lot of these are horseshit. Like I couldn't imagine that the mummy was on anybody's list of a better remake, but by God, it was there. And a couple of them in the thing, by the way, Chad, if it makes you feel any better, the thing dominates almost all those lists. Oh, really? Yeah, it does. But this one, this one, it, no one's going to see coming. So this one's a Disney movie and it's called Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Oh my God. <laughs> now. Okay, Don Amici, yeah. Yep. Can't go wrong with Don Amici. Michael J. Fox. And Sally Field. Sally Field. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie in the theater with my mom in 93 and cried my little eyes out. I did not know it was a remake until this year, guys. It is a remake directed by Fletcher Markle, and it was narrated by Rex Allen. Rex Allen narrated a ton of Disney things. It's kind of the same story, a dog, a cat. Uh, only it's a bull terrier, a, a Labrador retriever, and a Siamese cat. There's a Siamese cat in the other one. Begin missing their owners after being dropped off at the summer with a friend of the family and who live across country from them, and their loneliness comes and they go look after them. Now, that's not what happens in the remake. In the remake, they get lost, right? And they have to make their way back to their owners. And it's directed by Dwayne Durham, whom I don't know at all. But it is a far superior film. A lot of people, if you've never seen the original, I'm pretty sure it's on Disney+. Plus. It it's is. fun, but it is a far superior film to the original, and no one saw this coming. I know. I, I, I started giggling. Because the tr- we talked about remakes. Yeah. And the truth is, it's not a bad movie. It's a great family movie. I, I loved it as a, when I was a young man. I have seen it. I haven't actually seen it in a few years. I saw scenes from it. It's still, I saw it. This, uh, I saw it. Uh, I saw it uh, about three months ago. And my daughters loved, loved it. And did it, you it, hate it? No, I didn't hate it. No, I, I loved it. Uh, your story is a little wrong, though. The, what happens is the family moves. Them. Yeah, they don't they get lost when they move. No, they move and they leave the the pets behind, and then they try to go find them. 
the Pets they leave them behind get... on purpose? Yeah, because they don't. They're moving to a city. Oh, I don't remember them leaving them behind on the purpose. Shit, Chad, I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, and I... uh, and and I knew this before. Uh, that is where I learned the mess. The most excellent line of cats rule and dogs drool. <laughs> yes. <my laughs> Here, I'll tell you a little bit of that was actually not the original cast. I can't remember who all actually did the voice recording, but but Michael J. Fox had uh, he replaced the one and only John Cryer. Oh God, <laughs> John Cryer and someone else had actually. You, you know what would make that even better? What if it was Eric Stoltz who originally did Wouldn't it? it? <laughs> Wouldn't it? That would be great. I read an interview with John Cryer later on going, I had a cold. I don't blame them for replacing me. (laughs) (laughs) A direct quote. I had a cold. I don't blame them for replacing me. So I actually liked Homeward Bound. And it's it's a far superior film to the original. And I, I... I swear to God, I was looking through some of these and I was like, well, everybody's going to know I'm going to do this. Everyone's going to know I do that. It is a superior remake for you homeward bound people out there. The incredible journey. Yep. That, that well dark played. cat, go see the original, not the remake that remake remake with Christina Ricci is barely watchable. Well played. James, what do you got? You know, I'm going to go with one a little bit more recent. So I went way old school for this one. Let's go a little bit more recent. And I'm going to talk about a film. The original came out in 1987. And I'll be honest. I was not aware this was a remake until at some weird hour of the morning, I chanced upon the original and went, well, huh? And so I want to start uh, with the, the cast here. Let me, let me find my notes here. Here we go. So the, the original cast of the original, um, evidently Chad's having some sort of episode. I'll just, for those of you not watching. Um, okay, easy. It'll, it, just walk it off, buddy. Again, based on a novel, this time written by A.J. Quinnell, um, this movie stars, and I want to read the cast because I was like, man, when I saw it to watch, I was like, this is a great cast. I can't believe this movie was a remake and this was the original cast. Starring Scott Glenn, for those of you that like the Daredevil Netflix series, guy that trained Daredevil. Um, Draft bitches. Jade Mal, Joe Pesci, Brooke Adams, Jonathan Price and Danny Aiello. And so I put on pants just so you know. Why now? Now's the time yeah. to take them off. Because I'm cold. So so this uh, this is based on again a novel by AJ Quinnell. And here's the plot to this movie with that cast. It turns out that there's this this uh, the character played by Scott Glenn is a washed up. Uh, he, he, um, veteran, a Vietnam era veteran, but he's all, he got all the special forces training and he is hired by this family who convinces him to be the protection for their daughter. And he ends up forming a tight relationship with the daughter when guess what? The daughter is taken. The movie is called Man on Fire. I didn't know that that was a that's a remake. I didn't know that was a remake. 1987, AJ Quinnell's novel. By the way, AJ Quinnell has since passed away, but I didn't realize his books. Yeah, man, books are huge in different parts of the world because a lot of people view the character of Creasy, who is played in the original by Scott Glenn, and Denzel in the remake. 
uh, and Denzel. And by the way, his friend is Joe Pesci in the original and is Christopher Walken in the remake. Mm-hmm. Man. Um, uh, no idea. It no. is it is a fascinating film. It hits all the same beats. The problem is, and it's not actually Scott Glenn's fault. I mean, Denzel's a phenomenal actor, but it's directed... Also, it had Tony Scott. I was about to say Tony well, Scott. Well, I was about to say, and that's the funny part. This is directed by, and I, I believe he's Italian. I'm sorry, I'm going to slaughter this name. Eli Tarakakai. I don't know. I, I apologize now because I'm sure I'm wrong. What else? But here's the funny part about that. Do you know who was originally going to direct? Tony Scott. <laughs> well, that makes Tony sense. Scott was, that makes sense. was assigned to direct, but then the studio in 1987 got scared. They wanted a hit and they felt he did not have enough uh, accomplishments to take really? on a he movie. He directed Top Gun. Gun. Yeah, wasn't Top Gun out by that time? Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you. Well, here's what happened then. One of the producers, Arnon Machan, said, okay, I know I who I want. I think is how you say it, but go oh, on. I'm sorry. I know who I want. I want it to be directed by Sergio Leone. And if we get Sergio Leone, we're going to get Robert De Niro. Tony Scott was still circling the project saying, no, 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 I can do this. I can do this. And I want to get either Marlon Brando, and remember this is 1987, or Robert Duvall to be creasy. Because that would have been Vietnam era. They would have been the right age. They would have been. And they pass on Tony Scott. They tell him basically go away. And they they let, um, again, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, L.A. Chorakawa. And if you look this guy up, um, he is from France. Uh, he has, he's a conehead. No. Um, he has only directed about uh, maybe 12 movies. The most uh, recent one is The Origin of Violence. Um, they've all been, other than this one, I believe they've all been international films. Uh, and he's done some musical theater, and that's, that's what he's done. So obviously, Tony Scott went on to do some other stuff. Um, so what happens? It is not a hit. It doesn't get good reviews. A lot of people actually say Scott Glenn is misused in it. They actually don't blame him for it. They say Scott Glenn wasn't given anything to work with. The direction is choppy. It is not a hit, obviously. What happens? Well, Tony Scott goes on to make some movies, some more movies that make money. And it circles back, and we get Tony Scott's version, which, of course, has Denzel Washington, Dakota Fanning as the, the little girl, Lupita, um, Rhonda Mitchell as the mother, Christopher Walken as his friend, um, Mark Anthony as the father, and then uh, Mickey Rourke is in it as well it's got a great cast but so did the original jonathan price is in the original it's mm. got a great cast but the direction evidently from all reviews and 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 i watched it late at night and i was like man this just isn't as fun i mean it's not even as dramatic it, it's jumpy it's so if you've never if you're really interested check out 1987's man on fire you'll be like yep it hit the same beat it just doesn't hit it as well the remake of Man on Fire, which I have a copy of right here, um, is better. And, and it has some of my favorite lines in it because Christopher Walken just has, he's painting his, his masterpiece. Yes. <laughs> uh, Joe Pesci is a great actor and he does great as his friend. It's just not as good of a movie. Man on Fire is one I had to mention because once I saw the original, I was like, oh man, the, the remake is 10 times better. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Chad! Okay, so 
guys, this is going to be a cheat on me um, because just been been for years. No, this oh. is one of these uh, remakes that was so good. Does he know I've been doing it with his? Wife? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to double up. She, she does. She right? does constantly walk around with a face of disappointment. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Listen. Uh, <laughs> It takes two <laughs> to give her that face. I was gonna say now, in all fairness, two. That, you can't me, get that level of disappointment with just one fat fuck. Let, let me let me help you. Let me borrow a Jimmy Carr comeback here, real quick. Now, in all fairness, Chad, that may not be from Joe. There were a lot of guys there. There was a lot of guys. <laughs> Touche, sir. No, sorry, um, sorry, Jesus. person who will never actually watch this. I'm sure. No, so this movie was so good that I actually did not go and ever watch the original because I don't want to because it's this movie it was so great. It came out the same year as True Grit, which I'm like, oh man, I can I need to pick more remakes over course of time. But I, when I was thinking of movies, this is one that came up: Thirteen Assassins. Uh, in 1963, it was directed by Ichi Kudo, um, and then the 2000 the original. I didn't even know it was a remake. It's it, it's Takashi Miyaki. I always say Takashi Mike, but I know that's not right. I think it's Miyaki or something like it's his yeah. best movie. It's Takashi Miyaki's uh, best movie by bar none. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it's basically there's a there's a villainous uh, feudal lord who's just a despicable person, and these people hire these thirteen assassins to kill him. Yep. Basic plot. Beautifully beautifully told um and no, i didn't get the line in it he goes like right is it's like or i'll do it beautifully or be something like that yeah something i can't remember okay. uh, me and joe actually watched this together and i think we were both floored when we watched it loved it yeah and uh, other people I've, I've had people there's a friend of mine named chris i won't say his whole name he's like shit on it and i was like are you did we watch the same movie yeah how can you shit on 13 i have assassins? had more than one or two people do that well back in the day no one talks about it now yeah it just and that, that's one, this is just one of the, the saddest part. And it should still be talked about. It, it is an amazing film. Um, oh, many Japanese films have been ripped off. Yeah. And the, um, the, so I didn't realize this, the opening sequence, and this is another reason why I don't need to see the original. The opening sequence, and this is the only case where this happens in the movie. It's a shot for shot repeat of the original. Mm -hmm. the opening sequence is so uh but other than that the rest of it is takashi miyake's uh i know i'm pronouncing that wrong i, I think it's miyake but you can check on that chad yeah um what i love about this ain't quite as good as my chinese and they ain't quite as good as my english yeah <laughs> and what I'm, sir i believe it's pronounced english see <laughs> god hold you hold you uh draw uh, crowd Here's why, and here's why I love the movie. And we'll, 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 I'll move on real quick after this. But um, the first two acts of this movie do a great job establishing these characters. It's, it's, it's a character piece. It goes yep. into each one of their cases, why they're there, what, what forces them to go forward, why they're together, um, and just what makes them want to do this. And it's, it's to a variety of reasons. Some are money, some are power, some are through the sheer force of um you know their beliefs now the third act the third act is a marvelous piece of work it is a 45 minute long fight scene yep it's all it's it's 
builds up to this and it is 45 minutes long of these people. I didn't realize it was 45 minutes, 45 minutes um, of just nonstop fighting of, of these 13 assassins or 13 warriors fighting this feudal Lord's army. And it goes on nonstop and you see what happens to each one of them. And then the finale is just beautiful. Um, I haven't seen a long time. Jay. God, I this is I, with you. Yeah. It's that, been well over a decade ago. Yeah. It's over a decade at this point. I saw it. I saw it several years ago because I wanted to go back and rewatch it. And I was in love with it as, as much as I was the first time. Is that, is that streaming anywhere? I don't think it is, which is another travesty. Look it up and let me know. Um, and the other reason, and, and again, mentioning the fights, the fight choreography in this is just truly astonishing. Um, and honestly, it makes me want to watch it. It made me want to go back and look at more Takashi Miike's um, films. I knew some of them, me and I believe me and Joe watched a few of them together. Um, but, you know, um, uh, audition. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, watch 13 Assassins. It's and, on be in a, and be in a really special mood to watch audition <laughs> it's on hulu okay i don't have hulu so I, i'll have to find some i'll have to buy premium. i don't know i didn't know that there was that many different levels of freaking hulu yeah uh joe what's your third pick oh shit <clears throat> this is tough oh my it God. really was this is so tough because there's two or three things because so we can do honorable mention so i went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and i'm glad i threw homeward bound in the middle of it because i think the third one is going to be right up more of my alley it is Cronenberg's The Fly. It was on my list too. It's it's a I love Vincent Price, but there is no comparison. That first movie is holds up. It's great. I enjoy it. I can still watch it. Still quotable as hell. Help me, help me. Still has some beautiful scenes in it. Some you did it, it wrong. What? Help me. I help me. Help me. I can't do that voice. But now. Cronenberg's actually makes slightly less sense. And here I'll tell you why. Because he well, mutates yeah. he mutates and there doesn't really explain why. But visually for the story and progression, it makes more sense. It's Kafka-esque. Yeah. It really is. Right. <laughs> is the metamorphosis complete? Sorry. I was <laughs> trying to remember Chuck Pogue's name, motherfucker. And then you screamed out Kafka S as I was in the middle of my whilst I soliloquize. <laughs> anyway, so I love Ditto. I love the original. It makes sense that he transports in the original. And if I don't think I should sit here and explain either version of this to people, you guys, that seems like a waste of time. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 I mean the technology aspect is secondary to everything else, right? It's secondary it's, to everything else, but in the first one, he transports and gets flying, he's already there, which actually makes a little bit more logical sense if you guys think about it to me, then he would just start to metamorphose if he starts to go straight Kafka. Yeah. That, but visually that works and it's written by Kentucky's own Charles Edward Pogue. That's not the reason I put it on the list. I just, we'd love to have Chuck Pogue on the show. Yeah. And as of late, I, I don't know that restraining order doesn't, I mean, it, that, that, that does that have anything to say about him doing us doing it with zoom? I don't, I don't know how I, I am not, uh, an I don't attorney. know how restraining wor orders work with zoom. I, I'm not an attorney. I just pose this one in magazines. Right. So, I don't know, guys. What do you think? James, you are the huge, we all love Vincent Price, but I'll give you the one who, you above and beyond the other two. I uh, think The know, Fly uh, is a better film. It stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis. 
and it has a brutal ending. Yeah. Oh man, that poor guy. That poor I, uh, and that's no, the other it, thing, Chad. Nobody in that movie deserves what they get. No. Nobody was. Yeah, he's playing God in a sense, but he's not playing. He's a researcher who makes a mistake. James, I want you to answer the question, but I, you know that that ending with that the gentleman. I watched it as a kid, and I was honestly revolted and sad because I'm like, I, I, that's one of those few movies where I just thought about a fictional character after the fact. I'm like, he's not going to be, he's not going to be right. <laughs> he's not right. He's in a little bit of the first of the sequel. He, it's, it's, n- no one deserves what they get. And no. it has one of the most heartbreaking creature deaths in cinema history. It's right up there with me with King Kong. When, when he pulls that shotgun barrel to his head, mm-hmm. begging Gina Davis, who is pregnant with his child to blow his brains out. I, you go back and watch that. It is, I, I'm getting a little, well, I'm not getting sad. I'm going to start crying, but it's a little, it's sad for me to think about it now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly, we would have called this quote. We would have, we would have called this Cronenberg's masterpiece, but then he had to go make History of Violence the bastard. Yeah, I think History of Violence probably is his masterpiece. I love yeah. that movie too. But it does not have... Dead Zone! <laughs> have you ever read the book? It's a pretty yeah. good adaptation of the book, but he, as, be, as hard as they go, as hard as, as hard as he tries, Christy and I both agree, he still doesn't get the sorrow and just the shit piled onto that character that Stephen King did. Oh, no, 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 no. Because no, get to I'm do sure. it. The book takes longer, but you don't... Oh my God, Johnny! What's his name? Johnny? I can't remember uh, uh, Johnny's last name. Johnny Five. Smith. It's not Johnny. I mean, it's a, it's a real it's common something name. like that. Yeah, I do remember. He is such a miserable bastard, and that's another character where he deserves nothing that he gets. No, no, and I think that's it. I think that's why, and that's why I bring it. I didn't bring it up just because of Cronenberg, but I think that's one of the things that I love the original Fly but it's for a different reason because the original fly with Vincent price is about the creature, but not. Yeah. It's about the ramifications all around the creature. These people trying to find it, solve this mystery, do all this. What does it mean for the family? That is not Cronenberg's the fly. So it really does depend on what you want to see. So, it, so to me, they're very different films. Yes. It's a remake. But the, the for lack of a better term, the gestalt of those two films are completely different. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, even but not, if, in all versions of it, nobody really gets what they deserve. Nobody, it's the road yeah. to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, absolutely, Jen. The only thing is, is that Cronenberg takes it up another 20 levels and everyone in that movie suffers. Everyone in that movie suffers and there's real no, there's no villains. No. There are no villains in Cronenberg's The Fly. There are just people who, I mean, he becomes a monster, but he's not a villain. And that's also pitch perfectly cast. That's Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum's maybe two of their best performances of all time. Yeah, let's not talk about Joe's love of Cutthroat Island. I just can't handle it tonight. No, I don't think I've ever actually seen all of Cutthroat Island. I've only seen you know it. what? I, I watched it not too long ago, well, and I say not too long, probably about eight years ago, and I'm like, it is True. not as bad. As uh, everybody made it sound James a month ago and yes it is <laughs> no no I would argue wake up in, with bed with some man and then jump on a horse and ride across the beach is that how that movie opens up or is that what I was dreaming basically, oh, no basically that's <laughs> basically that's how it ends up yeah basically. I would argue when did that movie come out 
1996. It bankrupted everybody. 97, yeah. It lost like $115 million. I think think if you look at, it's probably one of the best pirate movies of the 90s. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm I'm being honest. There were so many of them. That's my point. They took a chance. They made a mistake. But it's probably the best pirate movie in the 90s. If you disagree, please go on Twitter. Let us know what pirate movie. And tell Carol Cole or Carl Cole or Carl Cole. I can never say the name correctly. That did T2 and Cutthroat Island and Cutthroat Island sunk them, right? That's the last big movie. Yeah, yeah I think they so. did. That's it the was one painful. I watched an interview with James Cameron the other day, just when I was listening, while I was listening to it, when I was working, it was one I'd never heard. And they were talking about how he didn't make any money off Titanic. And he said, well, you had all that Terminator 2 money. And he goes, well, turns out, yeah, I do okay. But it turns out I often do movies for and do huge movies for uh, production companies that end up going under. <laughs> and I don't get paid. There's an entire dialogue going on about that same phenomenon for authors in the case of one Alan Dean Foster and a company called Disney. That's probably for another episode. Yeah. Back on the fly. <laughs> Have you seen it? That's good a good movie. movie. That's good, good movie. movie. Good movie. movie. I'm telling you, that it was so hard to come up with that third one. It was a pain in the ass. But I, once again, that I, cinema, him pulling that, to me, that cinema, him pulling that shotgun and putting it into his head and begging her to pull the trigger and she's in love with him. Oh, him. It has, and it has, again, other than uh, John Getz losing his limbs, it also has one of those, one of those scenes that still makes me crawl when he loses his teeth. Yeah, you have a teeth thing. I have a teeth thing. Oh God, I can't handle it, and it's still, uh, like even thinking about that scene makes me want to wretch right now. So, James, what's your second pick? What's your last pick? <laughs> Speaking I, of yep, wretch, I'm I'm really struggling because I've got about five more, but I'm gonna go with this one because I think it is important. And again, I'm gonna be the nerd and go the history route on why this one's important as a remake. And I'm going to start, as I always try to do, giving some credit to the author. This is based on a story by a Charles Belden. Charles Belden was born in 1904 and dropped dead at 1954 in the Hollywood hospital, the the celebrity hospital. Died at 50. He wrote a lot of films. He wrote some of the Charlie Chan films, some of the very successful Charlie Chan films. He wrote some of the Mr. Moto films. And if you're into old films, you know those were pretty big deals. But he also tried to write short stories and and novels and things like that. And he wrote an unsold short story called Waxworks. Waxworks didn't sell, but he he optioned it to some movie studios. But he had also wrote a short story that wasn't the same plot called the Wax Museum. What well, turns out Warner Brothers thought they owned one, but they owned the other and ended up having to pay him $1,000 extra to get Good the rights to him. the other one. Good for him. Um, so that's I, if I learned anything from Charles Belden, and this is all I learned from him, is call all your projects with names very close to one another so they'll think they optioned one, but they actually optioned the other and they'll have to pay you out for both. Now, this is important historically because, and I have the original script, not the original, I don't have an original copy, but I have a print of the original. It was, it was lost forever. And, and then uh, it was, uh, originally he wrote it, not, I'm sorry, I said a short story. He wrote it as a stage play. 
when it was Waxworks. It gets picked up. They decide we're going to make it into a movie. It's pre-code. They can have drug references in it. They can have all of that stuff because the Hayes Code hasn't started yet. And they tap um, a, a director by the name of Michael Curtis, who would direct these films like Casablanca and Robin Hood and White Christmas, to make this film. But it also is one of the early films that used what was then called the two-color technicolor system. Made in 1933 with Lionel Atwill and Faye Ray, right before she did this eight movie. Uh, and That's not a, inclusive. Uh, a, uh, I'm sorry. I don't have anything funny. To say. Just keep uh, going. Giant gorilla, um, you say. Faye Ray, and, and it was about this sculptor who you made very, very funny. I said scrotum. Scrotum? I didn't have anything funny to say. Scrotum's funny. Scrotum? That's not always. I mean, not if you follow it with certain words like tuck. That's not no, funny. scrotal tuck is hilarious. You yes. just look at somebody who's not seeing it coming and you just go, uh, scrotal tuck, and then walk away. Sometimes a scrotal tuck doesn't see it coming. Oh. Anyway, um, Waxworks. Warner Brothers made it. They decide it's going to be one of the last films where they pioneer this early two-color Technicolor system, which they thought was lost. It was re-released in black and white forever because they couldn't find it. Uh, evidently, in one of the Warner homes uh, year in the 1960s, they found one of the uh, color it was versions. Dodd's, Dodd's home. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so you can you can now buy this, and it was preserved. Fuck you, nerds. It was preserved because it is. It set the standard for one of the early Technicolor systems in 1933. That's pretty early for a color film. That being said, Fay Ray as well. Movie came out. Actually, it got horrible reviews for being in color. They were like, hey, it doesn't actually look that. That's not real color. And it's whatever. It went on its way. Made a little bit of a splash, but nobody really cared. You jump forward 20 years. Now there is the code. They have to cut out all the drug references. James, are you getting to the movie yet? But they have an issue. So Waxworks was released as Mystery of the Wax Museum. They're looking for something to do. And I didn't know this. And I'm quoting the Library Hurry of Congress. Hurry up and kill Paris Hilton. I'm quoting the Library of Congress here. Did you know the history? And honestly, Joe and Chad, you all, you all know more history of film probably than I do. Probably do you not. know anything about how why they rushed to do 3d films tell i didn't know this uh so the uh movies weren't getting attention anymore because of the hayes code or not hayes code but then that yeah and television was coming out what could you offer in a movie that's the reason why you got cinemascope and the rectangle instead of the square and and the audio upgrades Warner Audio, and then Disney did their own audio for Fantasia, but Warner did their own audio starting with this film as well. But it also, they did it in 3D. It is not, as erroneously some people report, the first 3D film. That had the title of Bowana Devil, and it premiered in November of 1952. But everybody hated it. It was a critical flop, and the only reason people went to see it the public wanted to see it in 3D. It's a big deal to see it in 3D. Uh, so Buona Devil, no, the reason nobody talks about that is you only went to be like, huh, that does look in 3D, and then you moved on. 
So what could they do? What did they have the rights to? What did they not have to argue about that they could turn quickly into a 3D film? Well, they went with the script they already had, a horror story by Charles Bedlin called The Waxworks that had already been made into the Mystery of the Wax Museum. However, they had natural vision now, and natural vision was a 3D that they created for this uh, for Guana Devil, and it was actually created, I found this interesting, by two out-of-work camera operators who were looking for any way back into the business. They needed jobs, and so they took it, um, and so they had to take out a lot of the drug references because it was now postcode. Um, so they played up instead the mystery and the sex. Put put some attractive women in there. You got sex Carolyn. Is a mystery. You got Carolyn Jones in there. You got Phyllis Kirk in there, and of course you got Vincent Price. I'm talking, of course, about House of Wax, uh, the remake of Mystery at the Wax Museum. Or, Minute fifteen. Uh, he said the title. So, uh, but this film, I think, is a superior remake to the original. I'm not against Fay Ray. That was a uh, 15 minutes at 22 hours. <laughs> you know, if I wasn't interrupted. Um, now, that being said, the funny but part he's done about out it. An interesting fact about this movie. The funny part about well, there's several interesting facts about. It. Do you know that it was because of this movie was the only time that Vincent Price actually met Bella Lugosi? Is because of this movie. Yeah. They hired Bella Lugosi to be at the LA premiere, and this is all true. Bella Lugosi showed up and was given a chimp uh, or a, a monkey, an ape, something on a chain to hold at the front of the line. I don't know the logic behind this, but you look it up. You can find pictures. It's all true. Um, Vincent Price has kind of uh, locked him in as a horror icon as well. So another reason this remake is really important if you're a fan of that time period. But more importantly, the director of this was uh, only had one eye, so he could yeah. experience 3D. That was what I was going to talk about. Vincent Price, that would be the story he would tell for years and years. It's like, of course, he and the poor man never got to experience it because he only had one eye. That's who they hired to direct their 3D masterpiece. Okay. Andre, Andre de Toth, mm -hmm. I believe, was his name, right? Uh, do you know so, what his response was, though? Time Magazine came out and just asked him before the movie premiered, why are you directing a 3D film when you can't see it? Do you know what his actual response was? And again, it's from not. the Library of Con uh, Congress records because this movie is now preserved. Beethoven couldn't hear music either, could he? I got no argument. Yeah, no argument. Uh, no argument. No. Of course, he didn't have to put that 15-minute ping-pong scene right in the middle of it like you did with your... I've got nothing funny. There is about a five-minute ping pong scene. though, there. it is. It's a, not a ping pong. It's a paddle ball. It's, it's to show sorry. off the 3D. It makes no sense in the rest of the movie, but you're absolutely right. Um, so quick quick question, James, before you, before you go on. Have either one of you ever seen a movie in 3D with those red and green glasses? Because I never have. The Kentucky, yeah. uh, Kentucky Theater, uh, which is temporarily, hopefully temporarily closed, uh, hopefully will reopen. But they used to do every summer, at one point they did a 3D pornography film, and I'm not going to go into details on that, but if you want to read the newspaper articles, check the archives, because they got raided for it. It's an entire history there. A couple of my friends were there when they got raided. That being said, they also would do classic sci-fi films, and I saw it came from Space um, and a couple other old 1950s that were originally released in 3D, and it was before they modernized the Kentucky when they still had the old reel-to-reel -reel 
so I got to see them as they originally were with the glasses. Um, now, did the we, 3D actually work? Because you know, I always, when I was a kid, I had the the, the red and green yeah. glasses for like books and and other things, and they just I never saw the 3D. It never it, jumped out at me. Yeah, it I, worked. Yeah, but it did not work. The problem is we are looking at things retroactively. Did it work as good as Avatar in 3D? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, but did it, it look give a you little a headache. bit more I don't know like that it probably was for damn sure? Um, it yeah, it worked okay. I, I well, I watched Freddy's Dead when it came out in 3D. You know, the last 20, the last third act of Freddy's Dead's in 3D. You can right. and on the if you well when you bought the special edition DVD, it came with the red and blue glasses like Chavis. I watched it for the Roseanne cameo. That's an also another movie that has a ridiculous. You need to go ahead and put these 3D glasses on. In the dream world, it makes all the difference. Yeah, Why the oh fuck God. does it make all the difference, Kodo? <laughs> Why? I mean, you're like, a check right now. I'm not making that. Ro- Roseanne doesn't a cameo in that one, right? Roseanne and Tom Arnold. And That's Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny Depp's in it, too. By the way, anyway, uh, James, go ahead with your house. I, I was just going to say, did Toth... Freddie plays the Wicked Witch. The Toth would play... Uh, would would raise his stock immensely at warner brothers why would warner brothers like the top because they gave him about a month and a half to film and they gave him i think it was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to do the entire movie on production finished in 28 days under time and under budget he spent only six hundred and eighty thousand dollars jack warner was so pleased that he sent a case of jack daniels to the toss resident and work started immediately thereafter on their next 3D picture. Now, it made it to the uh, screen as House of Wax. It premiered at the New York Paramount on April 10th, 1953. Nowhere near Halloween, nowhere near anything else. The cast attended opening night. The reason, again, this is so important, was the original House or Mystery at the Wax Museum used early Technicolor. This one used 3D. They were hoping, obviously, that it would make a profit. The New York engagement held for 40 days and it grossed over half a million dollars just in New York. One week later, they decided to open it up in LA, obviously. This is where, of course, they had Bella Lugosi show up with the ape for some reason. Um, but when they did in LA, they did a interesting marketing technique. They showed it around the clock. They did midnight showings. They did all of that stuff. It made a ton of money. It cemented Vincent Price as a horror icon. Plus, and I have seen the original Mystery at the House or Mystery at the Wax Museum. It's a better made film. Does it have the annoying paddle ball scene? Yes, Joe, it absolutely does. I agree with that. But you also have early Charles Bronson when he was still Charles Brukowski or whatever. Yeah, but the um, original, if you buy the DVD, the special edition DVD, the normal. James, that, was, that would be Charles Bukaki. <laughs> Speaking I don't think of scrotum, a... Bukaki, but they uh, usually most of the special edition. Well, at least mine has the original house. Uh, uh, Mystery at the Wax Museum. Mystery is the Wax Museum. Sorry. Yep, um, it was, but it, it was uh, it was a huge success. The, it was the second highest grossing film of that entire year, beat only by The Robe, um, and it was reissued again in 1972 and 1981. As a remake, it is historically significant, not only because of 3D, but also because it did cement uh, Vincent Price as a horror icon in some ways, which if you go 
forward to the 1960s and his interactions with a certain Mr. Corman. Uh, obviously, that's historically significant. I could not not talk about House of Wax. And uh, they said they were going to remake it a- another time, but I'm not going to acknowledge that, that exists because... Uh, oh, James, come on. No. No. They killed it- Paris Hilton. Yeah, so are barbiturates. I don't, I don't have anything to back that up. I'm sorry, Paris. It's not Great. an off. It's not a good movie. It, it, no, no. There's, there's been worse remakes. It should than. never have been called. It's like, yeah. There's like several other remakes. If they just weren't called what they were called, you would have been. Yeah. Oh, that's a fairly shitty, enjoyable. You know what they should have called that movie? You know what they should have called it? Seriously, they what? should have went back to his original title. Call that Waxworks, or call it. You know the wax. No, Jack Galligan wouldn't let him. Oh well, that's true. Mm. That's a that's a joke for Chad. Yeah. Call it call it wax based dummies. I'd watch that movie. Wax based dummies. All right, who's next? Uh, so, James Joe, James actually Jack James actually gave me a good leadway. There's uh, no I, way I, he gave you a good leadway. By the way, yeah, no, I'm trying to, point to out, jump the Grand Canyon. That wouldn't have been a good lead. I've shoehorned. I've indirectly shoehorned because you brought up the fly, Vincent Price, in the two movies, and I had no plans. And he also somehow or another got his favorite author in here today, J.K. So, Rowling. So this was a, it is a nice transition because um, I'm going to take uh, and guys, you're going to you're going to rip on me, but I'm going to do it. But um, so what do you do with a movie that is a not very well known, but still has some classic sci-fi horror slash comedy film. You turn it into a musical. <laughs> well, Hello, my was, baby. Hello, that was my on darling. several lists too. I know what you're going to yeah. say. And that was on a few yeah. lists too. Yeah. And uh, if you watched our musical episode, I talked about it ad nauseum in there, but I, when we're talking about remakes, I have to talk about little shop of horror. Yeah. It's a, no, it's a superior. Movie. Oh, I thought you it were going to do the, the planet of the apes musical. No. <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Sorry. I mean, I no, could have so, went that way. I made up my own lyrics. Yeah. Uh, 1960, directed by, the original was directed by Roger Corman. Uh, it was a star Jonathan Hayes, Jackie Joseph, and Mel, Mel Wells with a brief cameo by Jack Nicholson. Never heard of him. It honestly, it was kind of a joke film. It was just Roger Corman's way of making a buck. He used a bunch of old sets. He had sets already made for another movie. So he shot this in a weekend, guys. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. At, during night, weekends, you know, whenever. During night, weekends. It was the joke movie that they could do in 48 hours. Yeah. And uh, it was a bet. Is, it was a bet. And he made some money off of it. And then, you know, and then um, some people came along and made it an off Broadway musical. And then come 1980. That would have been the late. That would have been the early 80s. It's uh, that. Oh God! It's a fantastic. I'm sorry, Chad. I don't mean to stop you. No, go ahead. But it was an off-Broadway musical that yeah. became really popular. And yeah. the guy that wrote the music is the one who went on to do the music for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Howard. It's a fantastic documentary that I wanted to talk about as far as stuff I liked in 2020, and we didn't get to it. It's Can on. Can we Disney point Club. out that this is the second time James has left? While you were talking, yes. While I was talking, yeah, where was, I have sit through 15 hours of House of, of Building Up before we even heard House of Wax. You know, I love him, but shit, he could have done that shorter. Yeah, oh, yeah, he could have done that a whole lot shorter. <laughs> I spent, t- I, sp- I talked all my shit on the thing and I didn't even get close. Yeah. 
And we said the title right at the beginning. He oh, had to yeah, make us sit. Yeah, I know. He does it every time. Let me tell you about Darshul Hamlet. Blah, 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 blah. And no, we're not going to talk about Little Shop of Horror. No, we're going to bitch have about Have you seen James. the documentary I'm talking about? No, I have not. Actually. Oh, not dude, sure. you got to watch it. So while you're talking, I'm going to look up his name so our audience will know. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, the night then 1986, Frank Oz took this off-Broadway musical and turned it into a feature-length film, um, starring Rick Moranis, the amazing Ellen Green, who if you can't listen to Suddenly Seymour and get chills when she belts those tone belts those those lyrics, there's something wrong with you. Um, <laughs> Vincent Gardenia, and then of course cameos by Steve Martin, Bill Murray, the list goes on. Actually, I think it stops there. But uh, it you does know, stop. it kind of stops yeah. there. But oh, oh, he's back, <laughs> and he has the what combination to the air. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. You're a dick. That's what you missed. <laughs> what? What? Did y'all? Did y'all bring up the Little Shop of Horrors had its own cartoon series? No, also, I was. Uh, I actually was going to briefly. All mention right, that. real quick, boys. I wanted to yeah. talk about this and the shit I loved in 2020, and I didn't get to. It's uh, the documentary is called Howard. It's about Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman wrote a lot of those lyrics. He went on to do uh, the music, and he died of uh, of HIV too early. But yeah. a Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. He never. I don't actually think he ever actually saw Aladdin. So all those songs that you love from that brilliant time of waking seeping beauty is yeah. howard ashman and he came chad from little shop of horrors that was actually he couldn't get any of these shit so he built his own uh off-broadway house and that's little awesome shop of horrors yeah it's a fantastic documentary called howard on disney plus i need to watch it then because I, I, if, if they talk more about like how he was inspired to take this roger corman less yeah, known talk a little he bit lays again yeah, well, they talk a little bit about it, not as much as you want, but you've got to check that out. But keep going, yeah. suddenly see more. No, um, and you know the other thing, the one, the other thing that they did with the remake that they didn't do with the original, they made Audrey two talk, and it's voiced by the amazing Levi Stubbs. Audrey two uh, talks a little bit in the original. Does she? Yeah, feed me. I don't remember her saying feed me. Audrey huh. two talks in the original, and right. and and I will say the puppet far surpasses the original oh you've got to be shitting me <laughs> now, uh, but no fun movie uh but yeah no uh, james what are you doing he don't know he his he's his I'm microphone puppet oh okay but no um if you uh, thank you james. if you're listening to us i'm sure you have seen <laughs> you really should just stop little shop of horrors <laughs> uh I actually showed it to my wife and she actually really enjoyed it for, I was kind of shocked that she would enjoy it. Now really? I'm a little shocked by that one too. Yeah. Um, then now I want to briefly talk about how I'm disappointed. So I was like, ah, you can't mess I with can't the Frank Oz original. In 2020, it was announced that they are now making a remake of the remake of the remake. This one's being directed by Greg. I will fuck up anything. DC Berlanti. <laughs> i don't know who that is he, he produces I, a lot of the dc tv show so arrow and oh okay my okay. kids love those things and and i'll I've give seen him worse the only berlanti thing i can give him a pass on is that he produced uh the doom patrol uh, but instead of rick moranis we are getting taron egerton which i'm okay with sort of but it's still not the weaselly nerd that is rick moranis i wonder is, if it'll be better than the house of wax remake yeah, but, he, back to me. but he can belt a tune so i'll give him that instead of ellen green we're getting scarlett johansson 
and Levi Stubbs is being replaced, which honestly I am okay with this too, because I couldn't find a, I couldn't think of a better replacement for Audrey to Billy Porter. Billy. Now what he's an American horror story, you know, from American horror story. Okay. All right. Um, but um, the one thing that I will not abide by, I will not, cannot, even though I love him as an actor, he is very ranged. I cannot abide by Steve Martin's replacement being Chris Evans. Yeah, because no, not the same. Not the same. So I'm not, not I will probably see the, the, the uh, Little Shop of Horror remake remake, but I will not be happy. Um, so yeah, no, if you want to talk about remakes, I, I, hold Little Shop, I show Little Shop of Horror right up there with the thing and True Grit. Um, it's, it's just flawless in my opinion. So that's what I'm closing on, Little Shop of Horrors. All right, so let's do some honorable mentions. I tell you, there's, a, there's so many of them, but man, I, yeah. the, Philip Kaufman's 78 version of Evasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. The reason I put the... Th- the fog, uh, fo- shit, Chad. The fog remake is a shit turd. It's worse than the original. The reason I didn't put it on there is because I just love Don Siegel's original version of the Body Snatchers. But once again, it's it's kind of two different movies. It's the same kind of premise. That story has worked several different times with several different settings. But mm-hmm. I, I my, my, what do you think about Invasion with Nicole Kidman? That one doesn't work. I, I didn't care for it that's the one that doesn't work but the other yeah. one that's the, the slow one that no one remembers is that's directed by uh, the guy that directed miss 45 i can never remember his name is okay anyway invasion of the body snatchers it's more horrific than the original and it has that haunting ending whereas the original they made don siegel put that thing with mike uh why can't i remember that fucker's name he's one of the great character actors mike uh chad undale Mike Lindell, he makes pillows. Uh, if you hadn't told, if you hadn't said it, I would. If I hadn't I said it, you just rattled it off. It's like, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. He's in all of Joe Dante's films. Haven't you ever seen Inner Space? He's the villain. I'm blanking. Yeah. I'll, I'll look him You're up. You're not talking you'd... about Kevin McCarthy, are you? Kevin McCarthy's who I wanted to say. Kevin McCarthy yeah. has a great. Well, they made Don Siegel put that. He said little... Mike, and I was like, is Mike friends with Kevin? Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> they made him, uh, you know, him screaming, "It's coming for you! It's coming for you!" at the screen, and that's where the movie is supposed to end which would have made one of the best endings of all time. Problem is they made him put that ham handed thing at the end of him explaining it to everybody and then them figuring it out. That's what killed. That's the one little thing that makes that movie. If it just ended there, the, by the way, the can, Kaufman can I, version ends with Donald Sutherland screaming and he's the, yeah. Yeah. By the way, I want to say, uh, cause you mentioned Kevin McCarthy at an invasion of the body sanitary, the best part absolute best but nobody needs to argue with me about looney tunes back in action is kevin mccarthy's cameo when they go to area 51 and he's walking by and he's holding one of the things and shaking and yep. that is just if he's you a black and white too yeah if you don't get the joke you don't get the you joke. don't know joe dante yeah but every time <laughs> I, like i showed that to my kids a while back and they were like oh it's funny and i'm like no that's hilarious like they didn't, they obviously didn't get that, but I was like, oh, that that is why that movie should exist, and here's why we another, should keep that in print. Here's another one that came out in the '80s that was done by an, uh, what some people consider an auteur, and then I could do 20 more, but these are the only two I'm going to do. Scarface, the Palma Scarface. Yeah, it's a three hour. It's almost three hours, but if you've ever watched the original, it's fun. 
it I think that the original Scarface was produced by the Aviator. I can't remember his name. Oh, Howard, Howard, Hughes? Uh, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Yes. But it it it's not as impactful as Tony Montana. And that was a movie that was you know it was much maligned for its time. And by the way, it is still graphic as fuck. Huh. Right now, yeah, it is. Twenty twenty one. It is still graphic as fuck. It is just crazy. But Scarface is a is a better film. All right, James, what do you got? I've got a couple or a few, quite a few actually. But I want to talk about one. I'm going to spend a minute on because I think it's relevant, and I want to make sure people uh, know about this because I know we've all watched it. I think, but I want to make sure people know. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the fine classic work, what he's most known for before his tragic stunt-based accident death. H.B. Halicki, went by oh. Toby, gone in sixty seconds. Oh, now why I is prefer the original? Really? Because it yes. doesn't have a plot. I don't really? care. They're really doing actual car crashes. Which, uh, which, by the way, did I mention H.B. Halicki was doing, uh, he was actually. Yeah, but the balls it took to oh, do no, no, it. Because no. I got on a kicker after we watched yeah. it. I bought most of those movies are sitting if, over there. If you watch the original one, Mary, Crazy Larry. I, I went back and looked at this because there's parts of the movie, even on DVD, when they, they cleaned it up and everything, where the audio was really low. You got to crank up your TV because, and I, and as I did more research about it, I found out literally he didn't have a script. He wrote down main dialogue points and then they just would do them. That movie exists for a 40 minute car chase at the end. It is the longest direct car chase. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories about it, and you could watch documentaries about it. Uh, one of the versions of Eleanor did get totaled with him in it. He plays the main guy who didn't produce it, all that stuff. Matter of fact, the production company that released it and distributed it, it was, quote, distributed by H.B. Halicki Junkyard and Mercantile Company. <laughs> they just went to, they just took it to, you know, drive-ins. But he got hit. The, a stunt driver, a fellow stunt driver, missed his mark and rammed him in one of the Eleanor cars and wrapped him around a tree. He had to be rushed to the hospital. He wasn't conscious. And the story goes, and it's been vouched by several people, the first thing he said when he opened his eyes, did we at least get coverage? So, um, but the reason I say the remake is, uh, is better is for a couple different reasons. A, it preserved H.B. Halicki's name. His uh, widow is the one that sold it to Disney, which released it under Touchstone, made the film sadly i don't know how many people would remember gone in 60 seconds the original if it didn't get remade that's why it's an honorable mention it's not a main one but the remake does actually have a much more detailed plot though it does have to joe's point a lot less actual car chases and crashes uh, a couple other honorable mentions that i wanted to bring up and i mentioned this i almost was one of my main one hitchcock remade himself with the man who knew too much his original version in 1934, his remake in 1956. I wanted to bring it up because there is a book-length interview, uh, Hitchcock and Truffaut. And Truffaut says to him in the interview that he likes the remake better than he does the original. And Hitchcock's response, I, I love it just for his response. Let's say the first version is the work of a talented amateur. And the second was made by professionals. Little uh, little line there. Caroline Jones, by the way, is is 
in uh, the remake as well. And I just want to point that out because she's also in House of Wax. Um, and then a couple other ones I want to mention because I think it's important that we do acknowledge that America does have a tendency to remake international films for American audiences. So I want to throw out a couple of those. Three Men and a Baby is a remake of a French film. So is Dinner for Schmucks. So is The Birdcage. So is The Upside. All of the other remakes of French films. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is a remake of Bedtime Stories, which starred Marlon Brando and David Niven. And you can guess who played what role in each of those. Right. Uh, of course, A Fistful of Dollars, uh, the, the, when it was being filmed, they ended up get, having to settle with Yojimbo. It's a remake. And Chad, this is for you. Major Pain is a remake of the Charlton Heston film, The Private War of Major Benson. Are Another you serious? Thing, yeah, that's, you didn't know that? No, Major Pain with Damon Wayans is a remake. Yes. It's credited in things. Look it up. The original authors were... Uh, they wrote it at Charlton Heston's film before. I would like to revise Moses. my list. Can we redo this show? <laughs> and the, uh, see, no. I, I, I gave you two that you didn't know Man on Fire and Major Pain. There you go. The last thing I do want to say is there are also movies that are remakes that are, are released and not credited with remakes. One of them, and I have to say this because the original was Lampoon on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And then when the, the quote unquote remake that didn't acknowledge the original got sued, everybody went, whoa. And that's The Island, released in 2005, was sued and, and sued, it held, for copyright infringement on a 1979 film, Parts, The Clonus Horror, which was the exact same plot. An island where it turns out people are clones, they're there only to be harvested for organs. So not only was All it those a things- shitty Michael Bay film, it was also another shitty movie before that. That was lampooned on Mystery Saturday at 3000. So I want it before we closed, before we closed this, this thing, I wanted my honorable mentions to deal with the fact that remakes can preserve a history that might be lost in the case of H.B. Halicki. Remakes also often harvest international topics or international films, such as French, German, Russian, uh, all that stuff. Let the right one in became let me in. All that, all those are remakes. And then also that remakes sometimes are we stole this idea and wanted to see if we could get away with it. There you go. I just wanted to say that is my honorable list and throw out some of the other ones. And yes, major pain. Glad you. So uh, James stole all mine. <laughs> I was going to mention the birdcage, um, but I did the one that didn't get mentioned. And honestly, it shows up in a lot of, I think it shows up on a lot of lists as one of the worst remakes. I disagree. Uh, I'm going to the Cohen weather Cohen brothers well again and talking about the lady killers. That's my honorable mention. I really, they're two different movies. It's a different film. They're kind of two different movies. Different yeah. Film. The lady, I don't know why that would be considered a, a, the problem is, is that the lady killers doesn't have Alec Guinness. The original right. one had the Alec. But, it's a, just a different movie. Yeah. I, and like actually, that that movie. I agree. I agree. That's one of Tom Hanks, best performance. Fuck anybody. doesn't like that movie. Yeah, he plays such a slime ball. Yeah, he's good. And then and then J.K. Simmons, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. You know, I, Mountain Girl. Mountain yeah. Um, yeah, Mountain Girl. I I love Lady Killer. I don't know why it gets shit on. I, I really use, don't. I use lines from it all the time. I actually have in I have actually used it in class. Not uh to, to flog a this uh an equine, if not yet deceased, on the verge thereof, but 
um, but yeah, um, so I wanted to mention Lady Killers, and this is not a remake. Uh, it's it's literally uh, and he uh, freely admits that he stole the idea f- uh, for his movie to make this he stole this idea to make his movie uh, throw mama from a train is kind of a remake of uh, strangers on a train <laughs> it acknowledges it right there no, Danny, DeVito freely admits that, Danny DeVito freely admits that he went to the theater to watch this to write his script and because I felt bad about when we did favorite directors, I did not mention Danny DeVito as my favorite direct, one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, so I had, should, can I tell you a quick story about the lady killers? I had to look up Ryan Hurst's name. I couldn't remember. I had to interview Ryan Hurst. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember. Why. Okay. Go ahead. You know, were you there for Comic-Con when this happened? Uh, no, this was the one. This was the, no, this, this was not the one. This is at Comic-Con. Yeah, I said because he plays Lump in that movie, and it's not a big part. And clearly, he doesn't have a ton of lines, and he's a, he's a good actor. Going to get that donut money, Lump. I said, and you had the privilege of being in one of the you know one of the great movie Coen Brothers films. He goes, I wouldn't call it one of the great ones, and he's in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I said, really? He goes, you recall one of the greatest? I, I don't. I'd have to look it up the conversation, but I remember he's like, I wouldn't call it one of their great ones. And I'd like, call any Coen Brothers film a great film, so he can she can and bite a my ass. Brothers film instead of just saying, "Oh, thank you," I I, the, I had X, Y, and Z experience. He just shit on it. Yeah, I like that. But uh, I, by the I way, love the Lady Killers, I will watch it any day of the week and be enjoyed by and find it entertaining. So you know, Chad, I'm glad you brought up the Lady Killers because that actually, for some reason, and you actually me... sit down and stayed for it too. So congratulations on that one. <laughs> Well, you I have talking about something he was interested in. I have J.K. Oh, Simmons syndrome. <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually in a battle with Spider-Man. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> what I was going to say uh, is, you know, an, another one that some people love uh, that I wanted to bring up, just see what you all thought, because it's not one of my favorite remakes, because I think it, 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 much like Lady Killers, it's a different type of film and the remake becomes an action film, is uh, The Italian Job. I think Michael I don't Pins have. Is different. I I uh, didn't care for it. I don't. I, I think I'm it. only ever. I've never seen the original all the way through. I've only seen scenes. And I've never. I've never seen the remake all the way through. I've never seen the remake all the way through. I could care less about that. I don't. And there's a few others too on to talk about that have been made. Uh, and what I'd like to do an episode later of, and James bring up Harlan Ellison again of stories that work on almost every kind of setting. Mm-hmm. so one of those would be seven samurai oh yeah yeah no matter if it's in space no matter if it's the magnificent seven no matter that story works no matter chad do you know what i'm talking about yeah, good god we could do a whole episode on whether it's a samurai. bug's lot that story yeah. works in so many different well and that's i mean i think if you read and joe mentioned harlan that i can bring up harlan Nelson wrote seven against chaos and i think if i'm i, I can't quote it directly but I think in his intro, he says something, and if I'm not direct, if it's not absolutely correct, it's awfully close. He said, the story's been done so much. Isn't it about my turn? <laughs> you know, and, and he just, he sets it in space, and there's all these worlds at war, and the end is coming, and somebody, chaos, the end of the universe, is coming, and they have to find seven people that can stop it. Another, and yet, another one of those is A Star is Born. And I really liked the, the the last one. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Gaga and the whole nine yards. It's a, it's a lot of fun. 
the one we all three got to agree we got to talk about real quick uh, we've talked about it on Everett every episode um airplane yeah in a sense of it's, it's the exact know, same story it's the exact same they had to buy the, the producer already owned the movie yeah so we're uh airplane is technically a remake of zero hour yep yeah so the com- comedic version that's it by the way i i mentioned the italian job earlier and i didn't know if y'all know you know uh italian jobs um place in history as far as its claim to fame in an international survey no the line you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off by Michael Caine was voted favorite film one-liner in a 2003 poll. If you watch the full movie, you know what that line is yeah. from, and it's a response to uh, Benny just, Hill. I just don't care for the remake. I don't and know. What, I, I'll be honest. I, don't, I, I bought the original because it's, it's Michael Caine, and uh, I, the original is a different type of film. Like both of them are. I think my problem with the remake is it's too convenient. I don't know. That doesn't really make sense, but it's too glossy. It's too, there's something about the Michael Caine version where they're all. Yeah. You, when you got to work with Benny Hill, you're going to have complications. I'll tell you exactly what it is. One of them has Michael Caine and the other one has Marky Mark. You know, I'm not anti Mark Wahlberg. I love him talking to plastic plants. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is great in Ted and Boogie Nights. Boogie I don't even know if I really, I think yeah, he's not of, really, he's not, I really. think a lot of people could have played that role. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Go ahead and come after me people and start screaming at me. I think a lot of people could have played. That I role. mean, I don't think Dustin diamond could do it. I, there's exceptions. I don't but know. You're right. There are, there are a lot. Well, maybe he should have been given a chance. I don't know. No maybe that needs to be an episode in the future time. What roles do you think almost anybody with acting talent could play? That could actually be an episode. In some um, so uh, let's end the show. And, uh, I'm going to say the best remake of all time. And Joe is going to agree with me. Hands down. He's going to go fuck the thing. Fuck the fly. By the way, go. The Alfie remake is, is, is better than the Italian job. All right. And Joe is going to go fuck Alfie. What? What's it all about? about Switching channels is the (laughs) best remake of his girl Friday. (laughs) That, which is, which is basic. Good night, bonehead. (laughs) Oh, which is oh what is the other what's the what's the other version of that 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 movie that story's been told 10 times yeah but switching channels did it just right walter Matthau and jack lemon did a version of oh what's it called uh the front page the front page it's either called the front page here's girl friday switching channels that's another story that works every single well and switching channels cases extremely well All right, let's actually close this. I've got one question to close this on. If you could pick one obscure movie to remake and pick any cast. Oh, I'm glad you're telling me. What what you can do any cast, anybody as long as they're alive. We can't to quote Robin Williams as a genie, can't bring people back from the dead. Trying to shut down the show, you ask a 42 minute answer. No, I don't know. Think about it. I I literally had one pop into my head that I'd like to do. No, seriously. Well then you both go. This has been an ongoing gag for me because it's true. I would do it just to see if I could. If I if if I was a successful filmmaker, did the, the, the original person do? Was his name Ed? Yeah, I I, I really did, and I, I, I probably Joe probably remembers me telling. I would want to do a remake of Plan Nine from Outer Space, and I want the slogan to be "It can't be any worse." 
I think Bonehead could get away with that, by the way. I don't know that I would have – 10 years ago, wouldn't have been as interested in it other than the check. But now I, I think – I would love to remake it. Uh, seriously, if you're going to remake a movie, it has to be a movie – um, in my opinion, has to be a movie that's shit. Plan 9 from Outer Space. It can't be any worse. Uh, by the way, uh, Bill Corbett – just shout out to Bill Corbett. He's never going to see this, but – Bill Corbett has an entire song about plans one through eight that he they played when they riffed it on uh, on riff tracks. You and know, also the, garbage garbage pill kids the movie. There you go. Those are my it, two. That also couldn't be any worse. You know the film that popped in my head, and I haven't seen it in years, but I'm like, eh, we could find somebody to remake it. We could get some actors that have have that history to remake it. Tough guys. Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas were in the original. Oh my yeah, God. You could do that. You could do who, I mean, there's got to be, I was trying to think, of, I don't know who I'd cast because I want Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my God. There we go. Tough guys with, oh, because they've been together much like Lancaster and Douglas yep. were. They did yep. uh, Space or Cowboys. Or, and, yeah. or you or, bring Gene, you bring Gene Hackman out and you do, you do two 90 year olds. You do Gene Hackman and, uh, Clint Eastwood. And Tough By the Guys. way, if you've never seen Tough Guys audience, I don't know where you're going to find it, but it, you, you could spend an evening in a worse way than watching Tough Guys. I, I've, I, when I was, when I was young, I always wanted to do my own version of the thing, but I, I really never got past how I wanted it to open. <laughs> Other than that, I've never got the rest of it because you'd have to change. You want to change? <laughs> Sorry, I just picture you in a basement going, huh, title card. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit more than that but it wasn't damn much more it wasn't, it wasn't much more than that i don't know i'm looking around the basement i mean i'm with chad there's a lot of stuff that's well that's why i said tough guys tough guys nobody i'll tell you one that i okay so you see behind me robbie the robot right i introduced my son to forbidden, uh, planet. forbidden planet over the break he got into it he, well he liked the robot forbidden planet I know it's considered a masterpiece. I loved it as a kid. I still like it, but it doesn't hold up story-wise as well as the time machine. And I think, by the way, the time machine is one of those that got a remake that, that that's sad because it deserved better. I think Forbidden Planet is a movie that is dying to be remade. As long as they don't, the day the earth stood still it. Agreed. But, yeah. and I actually would like to change the plot of it. I want to keep the Krell. I want to keep out in space. And I want to remember that I want to remove the Tempest. Because it's Shakespeare's The Tempest, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yes. I, oh, brave new I, it took me a second to remember, but I, while we were watching it, I was breaking it all down and rearranging it in my head. And I was wanting to remove the kind of the love interest and just kind of do the Krell, what they find, how it got... I, that's a movie that's dying to be remade. I know James Cameron flirted with it in the 90s, but it never happened. You're braver than I am because I literally picked tough guys because I'm like, there's no diehard tough guys fan that's going to come after me and say I ruined I ruined the gestalt of it. What do you think about remaking Forbidden Planet? No? Yes? Uh, what? Yeah. No, sorry. I lost you for a second. What do you think about remaking Forbidden Planet? I, I, it'd be, be easier tough. to do the time machine because you got the novel always to, to, to rely on yeah but yeah well and, and this planet is, would be the challenge i i, I kind of think the same thing about um oh shoot i'm blanking on the name of it but it's logan's run was, logan's run is oh god that actually it, if i was willing to take a risk if it wasn't tough guys because tough guys is easy to remake 
Oh, uh, yeah, Logan's Run would be one. And uh, But again, you get the book to go back on. I mean, they yeah. changed stuff from the book, so you can go so back. I'd really like to blow up Forbidden Planet and just keep those things and the robot and uh, and just go from there and build world building. So I don't know that I'd have it be the tip. And that may be the reason why it's not been remade is because that the original has a lot of it's the Tempest. Yeah, yeah. So, Jed, do you have one that's like a big budget one? Oh, a big budget one? Oh, man. Um, like something like a science fiction film or a horror film or anything that's been... That, well, see, the, my big problem with this is, like I said, if it's a movie that I loved, I don't want to remake it. I just, I have no desire to go in and, and, and mess with it because I'm not, that's, I'm, I'm not, a, I've never been a fan of remakes for the sake of remaking films. The issue is, it has to be a movie that's somewhat flawed. Like I said, the thing, the original needed a lot of work. True Grit, yeah, it needed, it, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I disagree. I don't think, I think the thing original in that time didn't need, I think it's fine. I think they just went back and did something completely different. Like, that's the issue with the time machine is the movie. I've read the book and the movie, I rewatched it a few months ago once again with my kid. And I actually think a lot of that shit holds up really well. The performances are what makes that movie just made, just keep spinning. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. So, Chad, what you're telling me is you want to do a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho, but not the original, <laughs> the remake. And it happened. Good. It happened. They stormed uh, my the entire thing about and that. they did Psycho. <laughs> I, but my entire thing about that, by the way, is I would have loved to have been in the pitch meeting for that. Like, what did they think was going to happen? Okay, we're going to shot-for-shot remake. Okay. And? Now it's like, we're just going to do... But it's Gus Van Sant. Oh, well, okay. Sure. Yeah, I know. Boy, and that's, I don't put that on Gus Van Sant. By the way, if somebody came up to you right now and said, hey, we're doing a shot-for-shot shot remake of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, here's a check. Boys, I'll be on set Monday. I know. Film it. <laughs> and I'll be writing the tell-all book in about two years from now after that non-compete or non-disclosure thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it only is going to be three pages long, and it's only going to be, I did it for money. <laughs> uh, tweet us out. I'm kind of curious if there's some remakes that you think we missed or that you think we were wrong about. Tweet us, Facebook us, find us anywhere you can. <laughs> we haven't been deleted yet.